The views and opinions expressed on the 10-8 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 10-8 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Good afternoon and good evening whenever and wherever you're listening. Welcome to the 10A Podcast. Today's conversation is with Dr. Lawrence Simon, a doctor of clinical psychology with a focus in forensic psychology. Dr. Simon spent the early part of his career interviewing and talking to the real dredges of society. We're talking serial killers, murderers, death row inmates, and beyond. I don't know how you can get much worse than them, but that's basically it. He's written two books about it, and now he's on the lecture circuit as he goes around and teaches others, including myself, about the brains of these monsters. I first found out about Dr. Simon while attending a conference hosted by the International Forensic Medicine Association uh, a couple years ago. I've seen him a couple times. It's absolutely great, uh, the conferences were, but you know, uh, I really took away a lot from Dr. Simon's seminars. So uh, all you true uh, crime fans out there, you're in for a treat. This conversation is great, and I, I know you'll love it. And even if you're not into true crimes um, or, uh, or real crime, what's it called? True crime. I don't know. What? If, even if you're not into that genre, you're going to enjoy it. It's great. It's a great listen. Uh, before we do start the conversation, though, I want to talk about a trend I've noticed in law enforcement. Um, it has a lot to do with the current exodus of a lot of people leaving law enforcement and, and going into the private sector, which I, I definitely understand. I want to start with that. It's a crazy time, and the escape clause, as I've been calling it, is becoming more and more prevalent and, and enticing to people that are in the, uh, in the profession, especially people that are newer in the profession. They're like, you know... Do I really want to spend another 20 years doing this or something? I, I totally get it. Um, but what I want to comment on is something that people have been doing, um, these big verbose like sign-offs on the air, you know, where they, you know, it, I remember seeing guys with like 30, 40, 50 years of service. They were doing it, you know, they sit down at their, in their car or at their desk and, you know, they thank the city for their service and wish everyone a good, good luck and everything. I remember seeing that or even like, Older guys retiring and their daughter's a dispatcher or their son's a dispatcher and, and, you know, they log them off for the last time. All that's great. You know, it touches that like little bit of your heart left that's still alive. It's great because if you're in for the, for the long haul, sure, you deserve it. You know, you, you made it. You made it to the end goal. Great. Good job. But what I see, what I have been seeing is folks with three, five, seven years and, and they're hanging it up. And they're getting the same treatment. Folks, it's not the same. 
Now, before I delve into this too far, I want to go back and say I don't fault people who want to leave the job. I get it, and I would prefer you leave the job than be miserable. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. I actually have an episode planned on the escape clause. We're going to talk about it in length. But if you're checking out early or leaving the road to go to a specialized unit or something, don't be on the radio talking about it's been a pleasure to serve your community for the all of two minutes you've been there. Listen, you've been serving since lunch and you still haven't even finished your vegetables. Don't do it. Don't do not do this. And a quick disclaimer, if you have to leave because of forced medical retirement, all right, I'll give you that one. You you can sign off on the air. You obviously, you have served your community. You've did, done your duty. You're good. But when you're making the choice on your own that this isn't for me, not faulting anybody who thinks that, you shouldn't expect the same honor as someone who stuck it out all 20, 30, or beyond years, Okay. You can have a dinner with your squad, your family, you know, cut it up with your guys. That's fine. But to tie up the airtime because you've had enough of the job, it's a little much, guys. Come on. You got to stop making this job of service about yourself, especially when you're saying it's not for you. You know what I mean? It, listen, it's just my two cents on the topic. Uh, I'm seeing it more and more, and it's just – I, it's taking away from the uh, – I don't know. I think this is saying it wrong, but taking away from the honor of our profession – Listen, we go into it to not be the, the star, and then we're, we're making ourselves the star. Obviously, that's, that's my beef with, like, TikTok and stuff like that. Um, but you can go around and, and say, hey, you're doing the same thing, but it's different. But we're not getting into that. I just, listen, if, you, if, you're, if you're deciding that this job isn't for you, fine, but bow out gracefully. Don't be like, hey, look at me one last time. We, we need to do better. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, let's, uh, let's transition from talking about that <laughs> to talking about sociopathic serial sexual killers. I'm not, I'm not one for segues. Sit back and enjoy. Here comes Dr. Lawrence Simon. Look, people ask me what the future is. All I know is I'll be doing this. All I know is things are moving quick. That's convenient for me because that's how I live. Now they see me out here moving up. You don't like me, that makes two of us. Time change, yeah, I can't adjust. Yo, it's who you are, not who you was. Oh my, yeah, just went to Europe. They said this single is working. I think I'm learning. I am way more than what people might think when they look on the surface. What is my purpose? Yeah, that is a question that I have been asking myself and it hurts. Cause probably something I should already know, but I don't know it yet. I'm trying to grow as a person. I'm sick of people telling people I'm here cause of marketing dollars, oh You think that everything is gonna blow just cause you marketed harder? No I got my hands in everything, not AI The following interview contains stories and imagery that is violent and sexual in nature and may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Alright, and welcome back to the show. I am here with my guest. We have Dr. Lawrence Simon. Sir, how are you? Oh, great. Great. Very good. And uh, I w- want to welcome you. Um, what is your title? What what is what are you the doctor of? I'm a doctor of clinical psychology that specializes in forensic psychology. Okay. Yes, and um, um, you know certainly uh, there's uh, you know author of the two books, the Murder by Numbers: Perspectives on Serial Sexual Violence and the um, uh, Mortal Desire: Origins of Sexual Violence. Very cool, very cool. So for yeah. my listeners, and I'm, I'm going to bring this up, or I brought this up earlier, um, I first found Dr. Simon. Uh, I was ex- attending a injury and death conference, and, and Dr. Simon was one of the presenters. And uh, let me just tell you, sir, your uh, presentation was one of the most engaging of the entire week. Wow, th- thank you. No, I appreciate that. I mean, that's uh, 
I mean, I, I love hearing that feedback because, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> some of, some of the details. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, I always tell folks, these are the monsters that are underneath our, the adult monsters, not the child mm -hmm. monsters, the adult monsters that are, that are underneath our bed. So it, it usually, it does kind of create intrigue and, you know, some of those movies that are out there that people have kind of seen 10 times over, you know, Silence of the Lambs and, uh, you know, some of those, uh, uh, flicks and the, the, um, uh, uh, CSI and some of these, you know, these hit shows and, and, uh, um, you know, folks kind of, you know, garnered the intrigue. So, so yeah, I, I luckily, um, had the opportunity to kind of trudge, uh, through these individuals' minds, uh, working where I work for a number of years and, uh, and putting it out there sort of in their words. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, and that's, that's how, you know, um, it, it, Certainly doesn't come from my head. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. It's it's so interesting, and I, I got to say, like through your presentation, like I said, very captivating. But at the same time, you it is real. It's not a movie. It's not a documentary. It's very real, and that kind of gives you, as you're listening, almost a I don't know. It's it's a weird feeling I always get sitting and listening because it's like you know the the reality is just so perverse and so jarring. Yeah. And, and yeah, no, the, the stories and the things that uh, I've heard from these types of offenders. And, and I say these types of offenders, these are the ones that have that sort of extreme uh, sort of pathological intensity with sexual deviance. And they a lot of times when I'll I call it the basement when I worked on death row um, with the state of Florida, um, when I you know, when I would hear their stories, um, it almost you know, you could say that, you know, an orange has one layer uh, mm -hmm. and then you peel the orange and you kind of get to the orange with these right. guys that have about seven layers. And, they, you know, each time you peel, you're not quite at the orange yet. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much there's so much fantasy, so much detail in their fantasy uh, that it does. It's pretty jarring. You know, when you do hear some of, uh, you know, their stories of how. Really, they got to where they, they 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 sort of got to, and and um, you know some of the things that they were doing. I would like to find out some of the things that they were doing before uh, to, to kind of um, make that fantasy sort of reality, to kind of uh, sort of engage, uh, sort of by in, by piecemeal. You know, so mm -hmm. they would they would they would conduct the behavior, and then they would step back, and then they would. Uh, you know, get uh, aroused by that experience, and then they would repeat it again. Although this time they would up the ante, um, and to the point, these individuals didn't even realize. I mean, they, they certainly knew what they were doing, but it, it became so grotesque that I remember listening to some of these stories. That uh, heck, these individuals will tell their story about decapitating a human being and attempting to have uh, intercourse with their head as if you're having a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So um, it is quite jarring. Um, and, and, and it got to that point. I do remember interviewing, uh, you know, some of these guys and, uh, you know, I had to kind of do a timeout myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. And I, and I can't, and it's funny, I can't remember when that timeout was with some of these guys. Sometimes it'd be 20 minutes, even sometimes it'd be five minutes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, or it may be an hour, you know, it, it just kind of depends 
on the kind of mood that let's say I would be in at the time to kind of go into that uh, that depth of, of, of thinking. And that's really what it is. It's the depth of thinking because, you know, we all kind of operate on this uh, sort of continuum when it comes to sex. Uh, we, you know, we have sort of a middle ground, if you will. Um, and then you have some of us that might have, of course, quoting the infamous books, Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> right? Fifty Shades, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then you go Fifty Shades Darker or Fifty Shades Freed, and then you're still not at, you know, the level of, 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 um, and again, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that that's deviant. I mean, it's certainly, and quite frankly, I haven't even read the book, so. No. But, but yes, but, but, but the, the, the idea of, of, uh, kind of taking that risk, but, but that risk is being taken with, guess what? A consenting partner, you see? Right. Yep. That's 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 the that's the difference in sort of what I'm kind of talking about here, because these individuals are kidnapping. OK, mm -hmm. women or children, let's say, because those these are most of the cases that I'm dealing with women or children against their will. And they're doing things to them that the Hollywood, I don't think, in my mind, from what I've seen from the movies, they don't they, they don't really get it. I mean, truthfully, I don't even think some some of the time they want to put it on the air. No, and that's for sure not. What it is. Yeah, right. And and you're just getting it straight to the teeth. I mean, you're getting the the full story from you know from their mouths. So you're getting it. I mean, well, when you're getting these stories, are they forthcoming with the information, or are they kind of hard to get through to? Some are. Some are. Um, some are really forthcoming with it, and usually the ones that are forthcoming with it. Uh, their appeal process may be exhausted. Um, they 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 may not be maybe maybe they may not be interested anymore of making any more appeals or they're pretty much set in their ways with meeting death um, mm -hmm. whenever that is. And many times I've I mean a lot of them know or knew that I had a book that was out. So I think that some of these guys, not all of them though, but some of them really do like to tell their story, what they do. And, and in some way, one guy referred to it sort of as his artwork of, uh, you know, what, what he would do with the bodies and, uh, you know, decapitation, where he put it and things. So, so, so they take some of them, you know, take pride in what they do. And some of them will just tell you that they're remorseful about what they've done, uh, but want to tell their story perhaps to help to assist others. Uh, for example, um, maybe so children, you can maybe save the kids, so to speak. I've had these guys, mm -hmm. this type of pathology. And when I say this type of pathology, um, we kind of refer to them, you know, the FBI had coined the term in 1971, the serial murderer. So when we think serial murder, uh, we think sex. And certainly when you have that, uh, that type of pathology, usually, the motive, the primary motive is sex. It also could be financial too. But uh, when you're looking at that type of pathology, these guys trying to help, trying to assist, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps uh, catching them younger, because I've been told by these individuals that they've, as children, they've been homicidal and suicidal. I mean, I've, I've had guys tell me that they wanted to off themselves when they were eight, nine years old. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and I've had one guy tell me that he was talking to the devil by his furnace in the basement. I had one guy, 
you know, saying to kill, to, to, to murder. I mean, he, so really the gist of what I've kind of seen is that from what these individuals have told me, this stuff is kind of happening at five and six years old. Uh-huh. I mean, it's really, I mean, you start to kind of see some of these things. And, and I say, you know, they, maybe a relative, a caregiver or what have you, could notice some of these differences. And they are differences, and mm-hmm. but they're not easy to pick up because it's not the typical difference that, oh, well, they're a loner. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's that's absurd. Right. Or, you know, so there's 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 other elements that kind of go into it. It could be trauma. Trauma, it's, it, I mean, is, is, a, is a big thing. You know, they experience trauma. And what happens sometimes is they turn that trauma, they sexualize it. So what I what I kind of mean by that is, is that they, the trauma is perceptual. So what may be traumatic for you, let's say, may not be traumatic for me. You understand what I mean? What may yeah, be traumatic yeah. for me may not be traumatic for you. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like this, it's kind of like the same things the same thing with these guys but what they do is that they turn that into sort of a sexual association. So what they might do is what they usually do is they start to masturbate perhaps in a deviant manner, well usually it is in a deviant manner to usually people that are within the household. Could be a mom, could be a dad, a sister, a brother, whatever, you know, and that's usually kind of how it starts out. And then they'll start to displace it. They'll start to displace it, let's say, on others. Maybe a friend that comes over the house or whatever. Maybe other kids in school and such like. Whatever they, whatever their experiences are with who they come into contact with, then they will start to have those fantasies sort of promoted. Uh, and as they promoted, they'll, they'll associate violence and sex. So in a sense, it kind of fuses together at an earlier age with these types of deviant uh, killers. And that's what I've seen. Um, and what I've been told by a couple of these guys, and I say a couple, like two, you know, uh, you know, a couple guys. And, you know, when I start to see that, it's like two or three that will say things like, for example, they felt guilty telling their therapist if they had a therapist about these fantasies. So what, what happens is it may be manifested into depression. So they might be depressed. And what what sometimes is, well, what will psychiatrists do is they may prescribe medication to treat, sort of put the Band-Aid on what may be happening internally, you see. And yeah. I'm not saying all, and I'm definitely not saying all psychiatrists do that, but, um, you know, certainly uh, psychiatrists do prescribe medication. So when they see the symptoms and their depression, their depressive symptoms or their ADD, whatever the case may be, whatever the kids got going on. But truly, at least what some of the, a couple of these guys have told me is that it's really not, it's the depression, but really it's the guilt that they're feeling and they can't get these obsessive thoughts out of their minds, whether it be to harm themselves or to harm others. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, and and by the way, that's where, that's where not all these guys again, and, and and I don't want anybody to get caught up into that where it's not always abusing animals, but that's where some of these killers, they get into, they're introduced to abusing animals because they're an easy target and they're available and they can't talk, you see? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and that gives them that brief sense of power, if you will, and control uh, for whatever the stressors that they're trying to navigate through as children. And that's extraordinarily, it's a lot tougher for them 
in the very beginning than let's say maybe perhaps would be for us. Kids are resilient, but at the same time, they may not have the proper equipment, if you will, with regards to brain, you know, the, mm-hmm. the brain development as, as, as we as adults do. You see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the question I have um, before we go even deeper into the people you've talked to is what made you decide or what, what interests you in having these conversations with these people? You know, I, I love the question because I can tell you this right now. It wasn't something that I woke up and dreamed about. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to actually, I was an athlete. I played tennis. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, in college and, and, and uh, uh, you know, got a scholarship and, you know, really didn't plan on going back to get an advanced degree. So, so I ended up getting a, um, uh, I did go back to school and as luck would have it, I got an internship at uh, Milan Federal Prison out in Michigan. And that's kind of in a way, and that was in 1997. And that sort of jump-started everything because the first time that I got introduced to this type of pathology was in that environment. And, you know, I started writing the book Murder by Numbers, which was published in 2000. Um, Mm. So that's how I kind of got started. So I guess the easy answer to that, not to go into, you know, this huge diatribe, but, you know, it's basically I got into it. I got onto a train that was sort of headed nowhere. And mm-hmm. um, I, I never jumped off the train. And, and I, I, I have been, I have worked in probably the most toxic environments, probably that there, there could possibly be. I mean, as far as that is concerned, I've worked in, you know, prisons, the violent sex offender facility. Um, you know, I was, I worked, I did child abuse investigations for a short stint with the Broward County Sheriff's Office. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, and, and and what I mean, of course, with the toxic environments, dealing what you're dealing with on a, of course, on yeah. a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, as far as working for the, you know, folks I, I, I have and the, and the agencies, they've been phenomenal. I mean, as far mm-hmm. as, you know, yeah. So, but yeah, but as far as just dealing with that level of toxicity, um, it could certainly, you know, it, you know, it can certainly wear, wear you, wear you down. I tell folks, when I'm at my seminars, I say, listen, I mean, uh, you don't really have a choice in how this is going to impact you, but usually it does impact you either physically, emotionally, or both. Mm-hmm. You're not going to walk away unscathed, so to speak. I mean, yeah. and I don't mean, and believe me when I tell you, I don't mean that, uh, you know, you're walking away going to an institution. I mean, you're walking away in your whole worldview changes Mm -hmm. your worldview uh you know the way you look at things the way you uh you you know develop perspective and uh you know certainly you know give you tons of examples of that so i mean it's it's just uh uh you know just some of the things in casual conversation that people will will say you know like your perception of the world has changed it it has changed It, it has changed but in in the sense that um uh, it, it's changed because, you know, you, you, you look at the world because there's been, you hear it from these guys that, that get themselves in the situations where they've uh, sort of benefited from that situation. And people will take advantage of situations that are safe. And then they kind of, you know, put themselves in the situations like, security installment systems. I mean, that was what the BTK killer did. 
You see what I mean? Someone yeah. coming over to fix your carpet. Uh, someone, you know, you know, you know, whatever the case is, you invite someone into your home. And this is what I mean by the perception and by what you've seen. If you invite anybody into your home, you take that risk. That's just how it goes. Because, yeah. you know, because, again, I could give you probably five or six killers that I've talked to that have gotten into homes by in that route and uh they've killed rape murdered i mean so uh so so there you go i mean so that's what i mean so it's not just you know sam the mover is gonna you know, you know i apologize to my listeners you know right if anybody out there's named sam you know hey. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it, so you know it's not just sam the movers coming over to you know move the stuff i you know i i certainly am gonna be a lot more vigilant not to say that folks that are let's say listening are not vigilant it's just that uh, fortunately or unfortunately i know how they have gotten into the situation to where they escalated so in in the uh span of your career about how many killers and, and death row inmates have you spoken to oh uh, killers and death row inmates, I would say I, I, I over a thousand for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've worked, I've worked on and off for department of corrections for about a decade. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you know, I was on the ground. I was, I, you know, basically boots on the ground. Yeah. So I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't really you know, uh, hovering over the air, so to speak. I was involved. I, I had a caseload. I, I, you know, did research, you know, I, I've you know, researched the pathology, um, with the help of, uh, you know, the Florida department of corrections, I was able to kind of narrow down the inmates that would sort of qualify into this type of pathology of what we're talking about here and research the subject, um, uh, pretty well you know, at mm-hmm. that time, uh, by asking a series of questions and identifying the inmates, uh, by their crimes and, uh, you know, their, their convictions. Right. So when you, when you talk about your caseload, so just kind of walk me through it. So you're working for the DOC is kind of as the onsite psychiatrist. Uh, yeah. Um, when I worked for, well, it was different titles. I was a senior mental health clinician, uh, for the Florida department of corrections. I was a behavioral health specialist, uh, for, for, uh, down in Florida, down in South Florida. Um, I worked for a little stint in Alabama, um, with the department of corrections. So, uh, but mostly it's certainly been Florida and, Mm -hmm. Uh, I've worked in maximum security prisons and normally, you know, I wouldn't look like to look at their jacket, you know, of what they've done, but there's just been so many murderers. My, my, um, my dissertation, and, and this was before the main research that I did is psychological motivations of serial sexual homicide. That was the title of my research project, uh, after that I did my dissertation. So my dissertation, this was my doctoral thesis was on the differences between uh, murderers, multiple murderers, that use a knife compared to a firearm in the commission of their crimes. So okay. what I did with these what I did with these these killers is that I gave them the Rorschach, the ink blot test, mm-hmm. and I interviewed I did uh, clinical interviews 
and I did um, uh, projective drawings. So I'd have them draw a house tree and a person, and I even had them draw their crime. So, you know, basically I wanted perspective on why it is they did what they did, certainly, and what, what was going on in their minds at the time. But the biggest thing that I noticed between the guys that used the firearm compared to the knives, which was really incredible. It's just I didn't um, – I could have done more. It's just, you know, you want to get done with the doctoral degree, so you, you know, you're kind of – you're done. But yeah. what, I, what, I, what I noticed was is if you, if you remember the Rorschach, you remember that ink blot? It's an ink blot test, and then there's about I don't know, it's like 14 cards if I remember. And you look at them; they're just they're just a blot of ink. That's all they are. And then you're supposed to tell a story of what it is, or not necessarily a story, but what is it? And you know, so I would basically have the knife guys, the guys who use the knives, like that hands-on type of crime. They would they would give me about 10 different answers at least to one card and some of them were highly sexualized mm -hmm. which, which of course makes sense and then uh the gun guys would give me one response that's about it they'd be like you know this just looks like a bat then they'd hand the card to me and when you look at the crimes when you look at the hands on the knife when you when you use a knife to stab somebody it takes a long time sometimes for these individuals to die. So the experience, mm -hmm. almost like manual strangulation, um, you know, the experience is sort of, uh, they, they revel in it. But with the firearm, a firearm is certainly a, more of a distance type of a weapon. So you're at a distance killing. So it, it's certainly, it's not as hands-on. You're not really right there. But what's yeah. interesting is, what's interesting with these mass homicides and they don't, I don't know if they're doing enough studies on it, but I remember when I presented in Nebraska and you remember the mall shooting, it was, it was a long time ago, but it gained international headlines because it was during Christmas and I don't, and it was in, it was in one of their malls okay. and the guys, yeah, the guy started off on the top tier of the, the, uh, third floor and started shooting down. Then he started getting closer. So he felt more comfortable and was enjoying what he was doing. So uh, I wonder if I gave him the Rorschach test, would he probably have more than one or two responses per card? That's the question mm -hmm. I would kind of ask myself. And the only reason I'm bringing, again, this stuff up is because there was, in my research, I saw some differences um, with especially that Rorschach test, um, the ink blot test uh, some of the, with, with some of the differences of these individuals. More of the knife guys, it's that hands-on. And um, even in serial sexual crimes, just so you know, so, you, you know, even with serial sex crimes, evisceration, removal of organs and, and genital mm -hmm. and, and all that, uh, you, you know, that's rare within these crimes. That's actually rare. So, like, sort of the Buffalo Bill types you know, on Silence of the Lambs mm -hmm. and things mm -hmm. like that. That's that's actually rare within this type of pathology. What's the most common really is the posing nude or the posing partially nude. So, um, or manual strangulation. That seems to be the more, um, so even knife, using the knife is, you know, an evisceration. That's, that's so, so to get that group was pretty tough to get is mm -hmm. I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. Even though I had a very small sample. Right. So, so when you, when you would get your caseload, what, what would your end result 
what what would your goal be? What do you, what are you trying to figure out when you get your cases? Oh well, working is part of the the, the system. You know, mm-hmm. working. The, my job was to essentially maintain their behavior. Is it, when I say maintain their behavior to manage their behavior, because prison, as we know, is an extraordinarily depressing environment. I mean, mm-hmm. in and of itself. So what we're really looking for is suicidality, homicide, you know, homicide, things like that, um, danger themselves. And we're trying, again, to kind of, you know, find out how they're doing to sort of cope with that environment. Because uh, these guys, you know, again, working in the maximum security systems, I mean, these guys are in there for life. They're in there 30 years. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're, their whole world kind of collapses. I mean, and, and, you know, and I would say I interviewed as much as many murderers as, as I've murdered sexual predators, but mm-hmm. arguably just, just so we know here. And, 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 and I even said this in my class is that a serial killer invariably by its nature, because the number one motive is sex is a sexual predator. They're just, let's say we could say they're the worst of the worst. Usually when we think sexual predator, what do we think? We think they're, you know, the, the child molester. Right. Yeah. So, but when you really look at the definition of this type of pathology, these individuals are sexual offenders, they're predators. Uh, so mm-hmm. because they are, their motive is sex. They're, I mean, they're, the end result is death. Okay. For the victim. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, but still in and of itself. But they're motivated so. by sex. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the number one for a serial murderer as with a sex offender. Okay. The primary motive of serial murderer is sex. Now, primary motive for a sex offender is sex. And now that equates just just so we understand and, and all the listeners understand sex is, again, it's perceptual. Okay. So it could be to meet an emotional need. Once we know what that emotional need is, they're easier to find, mm-hmm. but you don't know, you don't know what that emotional is. You know, you understand when I get, when I, when I, when I look at these cases, when I do these case consults or, or, uh, these cold case homicides, or, or when I was interviewing these guys, basically what you're doing is you're chasing fantasy. That's what you're doing. You're chasing mm-hmm. fantasy. Right. And, uh, th- this is the part where in your seminars, I'm always like, I'm tuning in and you, and you always break it down very simply that, my version or your version of a fantasy is quote unquote normal. And then their ideology of a fantasy is completely different. And and one is not to be confused with the other. Well, it it is. And the thing, well, we don't know. We we really don't know what normalcy is. I mean, we could, boy, that could be, that could be, it's like, tell you, we we could have a philosophical debate about that. (laughs) That's true. I mean, because norm, yeah. When we think of norm, you know, it's, you know, you want to look at the society, the context of society, uh, culture. You know, you want to look at, you know, there's lots of things you want to look at when, you know, you look at norm. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, just it, 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 it you know, because it, it, it goes, uh, for example, the age of consent is different, let's say, you know, around the world. I mean, it's, yeah, it's that's it, true. You know, uh, so, you know, we, we, as you know, in, in this country, we, we look at it as, yeah, it's, it's, you know, not, you know, but again, you know, if you look at it in other places, you know, it's, it's different. So, um, or you may have somebody that thinks like a certain 
type of sex may not be normal or whatever it is that they're doing and may not be normal. I guess so. So I guess the, the, the whole point is it's very difficult to, uh, you know, assess normal from because normal to you is, is, is different, you know, than, than, than someone else. So, yeah, that's for I, sure. yeah. So, um, Boy, we could really go into that. One. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I can, um, I can almost imagine. I can almost imagine getting calls. You know, hey, is this normal? Is that normal? <laughs> right, right. What, what you're what you're really looking for is is you're looking for consent. See, I mean, that's the big thing. Is that you know, if you're if somebody there is and and people and children have no ability to consent. So that's right. you know, so it's not. Yeah. So, so if you're doing something with, with, you know, someone, whatever it is that, you know, who, who is that person to say it's abnormal, normal? It, I mean, it, it, it possibly can be or not, but if you truly sat down and you told people and most of the population, if they told people their stories of what they were doing, then, you know, probably people would, wow, I didn't know you, you know, you were, you were into that or you, for example, fetishes, and you know, I, I tell this with folks, fetishes are like allergies. You can, you can have, you, you, you can have anything under the sun and literally the sun. Yeah. So, so it's not, I mean, you know, in the cases that I've, I've seen, I mean, I, you know, I've had, you know, cases from individuals having sex with mannequins, uh, to cars, to trees. I mean, you name it. I mean, you know, any, anything, it's almost in a way nowadays, anything goes. I mean, and, and that's, that's, that's kind of, and, and, and again, we're not going to sit here and say that's normal. Right. You know, I mean, we're not going to do that, but <laughs> at the end of the day, what you're looking for is, is with this type of pathology that we're talking about is, is absolutely it's abnormal because these individuals are to the extreme to where they're getting people. Number one, they're, first of all, my my thing is, and this might help everyone, you know, this whole diatribe here, what, what I'm saying, if someone's committing any kind of criminal act, and I almost refer to them as nuisance offenses, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. a nuisance offense, but they're really not. I mean, but they are in, in, in my world. You know, it's a right, nuisance right. offense. You know, and that could be somebody breaking into a car and, you know, maybe masturbating inside the car when somebody's not there. That's a nuisance offense. But is is that is that a criminal act? Yes, it is. So when somebody is committing any kind of crime and they're on law enforcement's watch list at that point, that's when I tell people that individual that's doing that has a problem, a huge problem. And what's going to happen is, is nine times out of 10, that person will get worse. And that's what happens with pretty much every single one of these sexual deviant killers that I've talked to. It's across the board. For example, they were peeping, sometimes in their early teens, all the way to their teens and early 20s, you know, looking in the windows and uh, watching people undress and things like that. Or how about Ted Bundy? You want to know what Ted Bundy did right in mm. with him? Folks know, you know, you know, Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy, he uh, took a stick and hit someone with a stick and ran away. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you report that? But really what he was doing. And there was another serial killer I interviewed that had that same sort of mantra. He was experimenting on the reaction of what would happen if that, like he kidnapped the victim. What, what would she do? Would she fight? Would she scream? Or it's a sexual uh, um, uh, obsession. It's part of the sexual excitement to see the person shocked. 
So, mm -hmm. so when they turn around, yeah, because that's what these guys that are particularly when I say these guys, because most of them are sexual sadists. Uh, and I'm going to let me let me rephrase that term criminal mm -hmm. sexual sadist, because that makes a difference. That's sure. that's the difference. Yeah. Criminal sexual sadist. So those these are the uh, the folks that need to up the ante to get that look of fear to degrade the victim. Um, or, you know, so, so that person just wants to see them in shock. That's what they want. That's their whole motive. That's their whole goal. And if you keep doing that, or they do, they keep doing that a certain number of times, it's going to progressively get worse. Um, and, you know, to the point where they end up killing them, killing the, the victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And then all bets are off. Then all bets are off. Right, right. Then then you're truly down the rabbit hole, so to speak. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So when when you were getting your career started and everything, how did you or why did you make the I don't I don't know, the transition or how did the books come about? I just started out. I was doing groups with uh you know, with the, these individuals and um I sort of remember that I didn't even know very much in the beginning back in 98 uh, when I first kind of, I didn't even know what a serial killer was. I mean, I had no idea. But when I first started talking to them in a group setting, I remember, I started writing the book Murder by Numbers. And it sort of was, uh, it was kind of like just a sort of a release, I guess, you know, because mm -hmm. I wasn't really like, it was like, I, I was just really writing chicken scratch, but they were like, it was like, okay, this is what happened today. This this inmate, he was a truck driver, and he would tell me how he'd chrome the interstates, and he would look for these, they called them lot lizards. That's, you know, a derogatory term for someone that's trying to solicit sex. So he would, mm -hmm. uh, that that's what he would end up doing. So, so these are things that I would kind of write about, you know, and they were pretty, it was pretty graphic. So my girlfriend at the time, she looked at it, and she's like, oh, this is really good. You know, you should, you know, uh, publish this thing, you know, and, and, and I'm like, oh, OK. So so there was sort of a motivational factor at that at that time, because no one else really looked at it except me. So then I had my supervisor at the time take a gander at it, who was my mentor, and he really liked it. So I was like, OK, well, now I got a scientist and, you know, and, and you know, somebody that, that you know, was was close at the time telling me hey uh you know you may have a winner there so i took it in there and uh you know it got published and uh did fairly well i mean it's gotten pretty good reviews and then i figured i'd write another book that mortal desire origins of sexual violence uh so uh, you know from 1998 all the way to 2012 i've been pretty much in these toxic type environments and i've tried to really sit down and write about the experiences and uh, try to teach folks about what makes these individuals different in the sense of why they do what they do to kind of come up mm -hmm. with that answer, which, by the way, it's no easy answer. And it's never been an right. easy answer, you know, um, you know, so there was always there was a you know, if you want to hear there was a running you know, almost a running joke about it where I would tell the class, I don't know if I told you this, but I sat next to on a, on a plane. I used to be scared of flying. So believe it or not, so I, sat <laughs> right. next to, I, I sat next to a captain and uh, I got lucky. You know, I always 
when you fly in a plane and you sit next to a uniformed captain, you know, I, to me, it's like hitting the jackpot, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, cause you get to, you know, you get to ask questions and things. And so this guy, you know, he's been full, full dressed and, uh, you know, uniform and we're about ready to take off. And he could kind of tell I was a little nervous and he says, you know, so what do you do? And, uh, you know, I kind of ignored him because I never really tell folks what I do. I mean, it's really not the sparse, it's not the, you know, conversation getter that I really want. (laughs) Right. So, so I, I asked him, I said, you know, by the way, yeah, I'm a little nervous. What does it take for a plane to go down? Probably not the best question to ask him. So he names off, this is what he, I'll never forget. He says, well, you know, the, the thrusters, the flaps, he said, the hydraulics, he names like seven different things. So then we level off at about 20,000 feet, and then they tell you to turn those electronics on. Then I'm a little bit calmer, you know, and he looks at me, he says, so what do you do, you know? And, you know, I figured I want to be honest with him. He called me down and everything. So I said, well, I travel around the country, and I do seminars on serial sex killers uh, and talk about deviant pathology and sex offenders and things like that. And he leans over to me and he says, you know something? I've always wanted to know what it takes to go down that road. And I looked at him and I, and I looked at him. I said, well, flaps got to go. Hydraulics got to go. <laughs> so how long have you been doing seminars and, and, and doing your teachings and things like that? Oh, hell, I've been doing that since two my first one was in 2004. Okay. And, and is that, is that uh, what you do full time now? Yeah, it is. I've been doing it full time since 2012. Uh, when I, uh, you know, re- you know, left the, the prison and, uh, and, uh, you know, sort of embarked on, uh, you know, this journey. And um, I have the privilege, I've been working with a, a couple um, of the cold case agencies and, doing some work uh, with them and uh, it's been, been, been pretty, you know, rewarding, you know, to, to help out to try to solve some of these cases. And so I've been doing that and I've been, uh, like I said, those seminars full time, but of course COVID hit and uh, that's sort of, yeah. And, and I, I, I've been offered to do it online, but this is not the type of class I've sort of made an executive decision that um, I don't think that this is the right topic, and and you you've been to my class. Mm-hmm, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think this is I don't think this is good to do online. So, you know, it's, it's definitely you you get the benefit being in person. That's for sure. Yeah, thanks. No, I appreciate yeah, that. That's, absolutely. That's how I. That, yeah, that's how I kind of wanted it. But yeah, so, but yeah, so no, I I uh, got into that, and uh, you know, been doing that uh, for for a long while, and uh, it's been been a great experience like i said i met you know i met you i I've met a bunch <laughs> of folks yeah no it's 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 a great experience get to see and, the the country yeah yeah and and your i'm sure your mental health is kind of uh picked up too you're not dealing with so many toxic stories uh coming at you all mm-hmm. at once no no and i'll tell you i'll tell you what i mean look at the end of the day and i just got done uh i was talking to my uh, girlfriend you know about this cuz she's got a pretty high level, you know, stressful, uh, job and what have you. And, uh, I, I had collapsed, uh, twice. Um, I was in, in the hospital when I was in my mid thirties working mm-hmm. at the prison system. And that's where going back to when I mentioned, I said, this is going to get you either mentally or physically. 
in my case, it got me physically, I believe. Uh, and because, again, I was working around this environment for such a long time. And what I remember most about the prison, you know, I remember a couple things. You want to know what I remember? Working Absolutely. When I remember walking in and smelling the dried blood and sort of sweat. Mm-hmm. That's what it kind of smelled like. And I, I, and I had that smell in my head for such a long period of time. And then what I, the second thing, what I remember, which I, I said to myself, wow, I definitely must be normal. Is I couldn't wait to get out. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. wait. I couldn't wait when I was done hearing these horrific stories from a lot of these individuals. And again, it wasn't just murderers and rapists I was interviewing. It's just, but that was pretty much the crux of who I was interviewing. Mm-hmm. I was de- I was, I was interviewing extraordinarily violent, deviant men. I mean, extremely violent. And, uh, you know, doing that every day, eight hours a day for five days a week, uh, it, it gives you wear and tear. If it doesn't on your psyche, it definitely does mentally on your body with the high levels of stress and things like that that go with it. Because there's, yeah. there's you know, because you got to remember, you, you have that, that autonomic nervous system, if you will, that's constantly on. Because when I, like, for example, when I interviewed some of these death row inmates in the basement, I mean, I am literally sitting next to multiple murderers that at any second, these guys can, I mean, you know, they can snap my neck if they wanted to like a chicken. There's no, yeah, yeah. there's no, there's no double death row. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, what what just, do they have to lose? Well, well, here's the thing. What's amazing. And I tell folks this is that most death row, death row is like the Beverly Hills of the prison system. Okay. And that's why, that's why a lot of lifers want to get on death row. And if you, you probably could see that trend. And many of the prisons um, in, in Florida, California, Texas, and things like that, they want to, because it's, it's, an, it's easier time in the sense that, for example, you could walk out into the yard on death row and you don't have to worry about being stuck in the back. For example, in the open population camp or you have a life sentence and you're, you know, you, you do have to still worry about, you know, certain dynamics that you necessarily may not have to worry about or you really don't have to worry about in uh uh, you know, the, the uh, death row more, you have to look at, um, you know, your appeals or your, you know, TV books. These guys get a lot of pen pals. I used to joke when I was there, a lot of these guys would receive more Christmas cookies than, uh, some children's hospitals. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, these guys would show me, uh, uh women that, you know, would want to, you know, marry them and things like that. And some men, uh, mm-hmm. that would, and then, you know, they would have photos of them and, you know, and, and it's just that they would just write back and forth and, you know, and I mean, it was just one of those, those, those types of situations. I mean, where, uh, their, their crime, at least, um, we've seen it in, in, uh, certain circles on TV and things like that. It's, uh, uh, hell, Henry Lee Lucas, a famous serial killer, said it best. He says, where else in America can you go from being homeless to three hots and a cot and you're the most popular celebrity on the planet? And that's yeah. what happened in the 80s and, you know, with Henry Lee Lucas and only to get worse with Ted Bundy. You know, Ted Bundy, he failed at just about everything that that guy did. 
mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. for one thing. What did he not fail at? He did not fail at becoming the most infamous serial killer in really American history. Mm-hmm. And and there's not a person that doesn't know the name Ted Bundy. But that's something that he couldn't do by trying to, you know, be a lawyer, psychologist, and he actually tried the political you know, the fundraising stuff for the political uh, aspect, of the aspirations that he had. So so he failed at just about everything except that. So there is there is that recognition. There's that um, uh, striving of, for recognition to be noticed, something that which I found out interviewing many of these individuals, not just the serial killers, but the rapists as well. Some of the violent sexual deviants that they had not gotten, they had not received that recognition, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, that we so need as small children. And again, I don't want listeners and folks to think, okay, well, if you're not getting that, then that's going to create uh, the monster that's underneath our bed. Rather, what I'm saying is, and I will tell folks this 10 times over, that you want to know the best defense against this? <laughs> and I'll give it to you right now. And okay. I'll tell everyone out there what it is. And it's just just this. Love your child. Love your child. Recognize your child. Be there for your child. Um, and I could tell you things that, like, certainly, I mean, look, there's stories out there that may be benign but have such an impact on the child's life. Um, you know, whether, again, it could be negative or could be positive. There was a story I remember, and it may or not may or may not reflect. I think it, it it certainly does kind of go hand in hand in what I'm talking about about how you could make the difference. This is just an individual at a school that made a difference to a young uh, a young girl's uh, life. She was writing a suicide note on the steps. This was in high school. She was in the ninth grade and was writing a suicide note. So the captain of the football team, he was a junior or a senior, I can't recall. And he had he had actually sat next to her and she covered the book very quickly. And he had said to her very genuinely, he says, look, I noticed, you know, that you kind of haven't been yourself in the last few days. And you know, I just wanted to check on you, see how you're doing. It was very genuine what he did. Long story short, she put away the suicide note and she appeared and that's how I knew about it. She appeared on one of those talk shows, you know, like the, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't remember which talk show it was, but, uh, she tracked them down. I guess the show tracked the guy down. He was married with, you know, a couple kids and everything. So she hugged him and she mm-hmm. told him right there that you saved my life. And essentially that's what you have to see. It's almost like that in, in, in uh, in doing what we do, our careers, you don't know the impact, you know, you don't know the lives that you save or, you know, cause I mean, you, 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 cause you don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't, you know, until you, let's say you appear on a talk show, uh, you know, years from now, like that young, that young girl did thanking a guy that she barely knew mm-hmm. in saving her life. Now I want that to transfer, translate to the, to the parents whether they're a single parent or whatever the case may be, kids are generally resilient. They generally are. But at the end of the day, what do kids crave? They kid, they crave recognition from mm-hmm. prime caregivers. And that is one of the things that I noticed that was through and through with 
every single one of these murderers and rapists. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, describing their childhood and what it was like, it's like they would act as if, and we're not talking about, you know, your run of the mill abuse. We're not talking about physical sexual abuse. We're talking about that other avenue. We're talking about like, you know, them describing, because I would never ask a question. Like, I would never ask these inmates a question. I would never ask, were you abused as a child? Mm-hmm. I would always ask when you were younger, how were you punished if you got in trouble? So I remember one guy tell me, well, I had a cigarette that was put out on my groin, but that's not really abuse. I mean, you know, but we know that is abuse. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, but in their mind and their perceptual reality, you know, it's not abuse. So you want to see what their perceptions are of their caregivers. And I got to tell you, I mean, I haven't heard. I mean, it's it's a step below dysfunction. Now, I know us. We don't have Ward Cleaver as our father. I mean, that doesn't <laughs> exist. You know, yeah. I mean, even though you, you know, you, you heard a nice conversation with my dad just before the show started. <laughs> but, yeah. But the idea. Yeah, we don't. We don't have, yeah, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, we, we got what we what we have and we work through and we, you know, and we, we navigate through stressors and things like that. And But we, we always, at least, you know, I think it's important to have that sort of head start. It doesn't necessarily mean when you don't get the recognition and things like that, you're going to end up down that road. Uh, certainly not. And I don't want people to really think that. It's just I'm giving a perspective of my experience interviewing this type of pathology and what they tell me and how I've kind of pieced it together. What they do is they kind of live in a world of omnipotence, this world of greatness. It's an illusion of greatness. Um, and it's really, the truth is they, they have extraordinarily low, low self-esteem. They look at themselves as trash in reality, but they compensate for that, for becoming pathologically narcissistic. So they do come, a lot of these guys do come off as being sort of narcissistic, that they're omnipotent, that they're greater than human. They don't bleed the same way. They don't feel the same way. Classic example is a great interview that Pierce Morgan did. It was phenomenal. I mean, he did uh, with a serial killer that was in Florida, showed him a picture of his daughter and you know that he had not seen for a long time, and he wasn't able to you know, look at that and, 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 you know, in the same way of, and even though, you know, Pierce had said to him, hey, well, what do you think? I mean, you know, what about the fathers of the, of the daughters that you killed? Well, I don't think, and the response was more or less, I don't look at it that way. It's not the same, you see? Mm-hmm. This has been absolutely amazing, and I, I feel like we could go another hour and beyond, um, but I know we're going to wrap it in just a minute. Um, so I, I, I want to thank you for everything you've given us and we're going to, we're going to, I might have you on again. Cause this is, this is great. Um, but what we're going to do real quick before I let you go. So I, I end every episode with a, a section I call signal three, basically uh, a bunch of uh, kind of rapid fire questions um, that just say the first answer that comes to your mind and, uh, and just give me that. And um, you, you game for it. Yeah, I'm game for it. I, I got my water. I don't know. It sounds like I may need coffee or jolt cola, but let's do it. Come on, buddy. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, the first one, if you could identify with any sandwich, what would it be? Bologna. Okay. Old school bologna. Mm-hmm. I like it. Where's your dream vacation destination? Montana. Really? Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. I love that place. That place is like, uh, uh, I mean, I try to go up there. I'm going up there in October. 
uh, hopefully still for a seminar. But uh, last October, I was supposed to go for a, for a conference, and it was, of course, canceled because of COVID. But that, that I love that place. Yeah, that's awesome. What What do you like doing up there? Oh, I mean, just the the sheer beauty. There's not much left of that type of that's- beauty that you see. That land. I mean, you know the you know the bighorn sheep on the on the hill or mm-hmm. you know hiking and, and looking at glacier park and you know kind of putting yourself there and i think you know and, and maybe maybe in some way it may have to do with sort of the two sides the polar opposites of, of the sheer uh toxicity if you will and then looking at that type of beauty you know you kind of you kind of almost in a way you need that you know yeah. And, and yeah and that's that's kind of yeah i think where where that sort of comes into play yeah very nice i like it what uh what is your favorite movie oh i i, I love uh 300 as well actually gladiator 300 and braveheart are all tied <laughs> okay. i mean if, if you're gonna i mean that's quite the holy trinity i mean that's that's a good one to have oh i'm telling you well braveheart is i mean you know you got it you can't go wrong with braveheart right Gladiator, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and certainly I like that motif of, uh, you know, I'm a Game of Thrones guy too, so, you know, I, I like that sort of old archaic, you know, where you don't, you know, it's a, it's a fair fight, you know, you have mm-hmm. the swords mm-hmm. and the bow and arrows and the, you know, the old school, uh, you know, there's no texting anymore, hell, <laughs> when my phone rings, I, you know, I practically almost have a heart attack because, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really, well, I mean, texts are, are, are much more prevalent and sort of separates us. And, you know, I kind of, I like that sort of wholesomeness and that's kind of what you get from, you know, some of these movies, these archaic movies back in right. the day, you know, I'm not saying I'd want to live there, but <laughs> it's fun to watch, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's your favorite donut flavor? I like the sour, the uh, sour cream flavor at Dandy's. Okay. All right, yeah, those are I good too. You, yeah, I don't know. You, you know, do you got dandies over there? I don't. I don't, but I, I mean, I know what a sour cream donut is. Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, yeah, those are the ones that dandy dandy are. Try to limit those, though. You know? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure they catch up on you really quick. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, definitely don't want to. You know, eat too many of those. There's, but they're really good. Yeah. Sure. Sure. If you were about to walk into the biggest moment of your life, what song would you want to have playing to help get you excited? Oh, I tell you, I like, um, I like, do you want the artist or just the, I'd say, I like, I like uh, Depeche Mode. Okay. Um, Depeche Mode is a good one. I've seen him in concert a few times. I like the, uh, but you're only asking me one, an actual song. Yeah. If you could pick Uh, one of their songs. um, I would say, uh, personal Jesus is, is really good. I like that okay. one. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. good. Funny, that, that it's funny. Out of all the questions, that one took me the most time. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. Yeah. I like to I like to throw some uh, thinkers in there. Yeah, you definitely you 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 put a, you put a curveball on me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, hell, you didn't even get you didn't even get vacation out of your mouth, and I got Montana in there. Right, too. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was your What was your childhood dream job? Oh, childhood dream job was to, um, uh, you know, when you say childhood dream, I, you know, I I don't think I I really had a childhood dream job to be quite frank because I was playing tennis. I guess mm-hmm. it'd be a tennis star. I mean, okay, 
Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty, you know, back in the day, I, you know, I, I had a scholarship. I played for Eastern Michigan University. I thought I was going to go pro. I actually mm-hmm. thought that that was going to be the case, but, you know, I bummed out my knee and I ended up coaching, which was interesting, the women's tennis team at Nova Southeastern University. And part of their selling point was, is that they, I get to go get my master's for, for nothing. Oh, you know, yeah, so it was funny. I was talking to the athletic director. This is how much I was in the school at the time. I, I asked the athletic director, I'm like, what degree should I pick? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean yeah, yeah. Under, and I, I, I said, do they have underwater basket weaving in here? I mean, <laughs> yeah, and then, no, then, then they had the mental health counseling, you know, it was close to psychology. Yeah, so yeah, like, that's close enough. Yeah, so let's pick this. And, and sure enough, that was it and, and did that. And, and um you know, and, and then everything else is history. I got that, I got that, uh, that gig at Milan Federal Prison in '97, and I remember they, uh, they, they might have made it. They, they, you know, I didn't have any experience, so they just kind of, you know, picked me because they liked how I was going to deal with the inmates. That was that's what I was told because I was quote down to earth and would relate well to their inmate population. So that was nice to hear. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I worked uh, um, side by side by my mentor, who's probably retired. But uh, he and I really, we, we dove into this. We dove into this type of pathology. So very early on, uh, that's something that I had, uh, sort of had an interest in, but, but kind of understanding it from like a Freudian psychoanalytic perspective, so to speak. And that's where the childhood uh, stuff kind of comes in. So when I would question these inmates, that's what I would, I would kind of attack that first, so to speak. I'd, I'd start to look at what their childhood life was like, because again, I'm a firm believer in where this stuff kind of comes from and emanates from childhood. That's where, that's where the tipping point I've never interviewed any sexual predator, whether the person had uh, committed a crime of rape or murder. Never. And I mean, never. I've interviewed any of these guys that just rolled up out of bed and just decided to kill on a mm. Sunday morning. It just doesn't work that way. The level of pathology, the certain levels the you know, that they would get to. And that's really what it is. You know, they get to certain points and then they would up the ante uh, and then they just continue to escalate. And to the point where, again, there's no intervention and then they end up uh, many times they don't really know what they're doing with far, you know, with, with, with regards to killing. So it's kind of they, they sort of term it an accident, but it's not an accident. We know it's not. It's just that they're going in there trying to get their rocks off. And they first of all, it's easy to strangle somebody. I mean, you know, it doesn't take a lot of pressure to, to kill somebody by manual strangulation. So. Many of these guys are strangled too hard and then they don't know how to get rid of the body. I mean, they don't know what. So they're kind of at that point confused. And But they love it so much. They love the hunt. They love right before the break-in or the kidnapping, whatever it is they're doing. And they love the fear, the shock. But once the party's over, the party's over, unless, of course, they're a necrophiliac, which I've you know interviewed plenty of them. And, and that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the pathology that's attracted to uh, the dead bodies, uh, yeah. and you know that, yeah. So, so that that's that's a whole number, another level, maybe even another show. You know, if you, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, absolutely, that'd, that'd be great. Um, all right, let's see what our next question is. What's the best piece of advice anyone has ever given you? Uh, 
probably be, uh, you know, maintain, you know, be, uh, uh, be respectful to everybody uh, that you come into contact with and, you know, always maintain integrity and, uh, you know, be who you are and don't stray from that. And, uh, um, you know, that, that's, you know, and, and not exactly maybe in those, in, in, in those words, but sort of along the lines, probably the best advice I would say was from my father. Mm-hmm. My father really, uh, you know, certainly had given me um, the best advice as, as a as, as a kid, you know, growing up. And, and uh, you know, I have to kind of, you know, I certainly do attribute a, a lot of, you know, the way that I am with with my my parents and, and, and what they've 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 done. And, uh, and, and, and so. Yeah, I would say that the advice would be that is to maintain that, and um, uh, you know, don't forget, you know, again, my mom too. So, um, but again, you know, there was a specific time I remember my father had said, you know, be true to yourself, and uh, uh, you know, and, and then uh, be respectful onto others, and pretty much others will be respectful onto you. That's usually how it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. very good, 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 uh, good foundational learning there at the end of the day you're, you're calling it a night what is your favorite late night snack oh man well i would say now it's those oranges those clementines yeah, i'll eat the- about i'll eat about seven or eight of those things <laughs> yeah <laughs> those things are addicting you're absolutely right uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the last question i got for you tonight sir if you could share a meal with one person dead or alive that you've never met who would it be and what would you order? Someone I've never met. Uh, well, great question. Um, there are so many, but uh, I would say Tony Robbins. Okay. And I would order filet. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like Tony Robbins. Well, I was going to say uh, it's either between him and uh, Joel Olstein. I like him too, but um, I like uh, Tony Robbins. I, I like a couple of his quotes that he had, uh, you know, said a, a, a while back. So probably him. Yeah, I would say. That's a good one. All right, Dr. Simon, that concludes our, our conversation today. I really, again, want to thank you before we sign off. Do you have, um, if people want to read your books, how do they find them? Where can they find them? Oh, they're on, um, the mortal desire is, is the newer one. So I'd recommend, you know, that one and that, that you could get. And of course it's, it's, uh, it's right on, um, uh, you can get a Kindle format, and you can get the, of course, the uh, regular uh, format as well. And that's all over. It's on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, so Amazon probably is the, the the best route. It's right up there on Amazon. Okay. Do you have any uh, books coming in the future that we can look forward to? Uh, no, no, I don't. No, I'm just, okay. uh, yeah, those, <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe in the future if I um you know have a, a you know maybe some of the, maybe if i do a collaboration with someone perhaps but gotcha. uh not a serial killer but you know someone you know someone else in the <laughs> right. field yeah yeah <laughs> okay. um, very good dr simon thank you very much for your time i really appreciated it oh nanny thanks a lot just wanted to thank you and to my listeners we will be right back reach out space
Alright, I'm back, and again, thank you to Dr. Simon, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this. Uh, the entire time he was talking, I was just mesmerized by just his knowledge and experience, and it was great. I've, I've really been looking forward to showing you this interview for a while, uh, even since I first reached out to him to be on the show. If you guys want to have Dr. Simon back, please let me know. I'd love to have him back, and we can really start talking about his work deeper and deeper. Um, we didn't want to go too deep this time to make sure that you guys weren't, like, scared away by his uh, his uh, area of expertise, I should say. Um, but anyway, be sure to check out his books. Uh, you got Mortal Desire, that's the most recent one, and then Murder by Numbers. I just got my copy of Mortal Desire, and I cannot wait to crack it open. Uh, I will be sure to check back with my review if you guys are into that once I'm done with it. All right, before I go to my Code 4 check today, uh, a few weeks ago when I had my admin episode with Kevin Malone, I asked you guys to reach out with some insight about what your admin does for you. I got a voicemail uh, a little late for me to put into the episode, but it's a really good one, so I'm going to play it right now. Hey there, it's uh, Corporal Marco calling from uh, up here in Canada, uh, big fan of the podcast. Uh, just uh, phoning in about uh, this. Uh, improving morale thing. Uh, in the last year, I uh, had custom patches with our uh, unit's name and, uh, and a logo design for everybody. Uh, had them custom made. They turned out great. Um, and we also have started having an annual uh, chili cook-off that I host. Uh, it seems to uh, have bolstered the morale in our unit uh, quite a bit. Like I said, big fan of the podcast. Can't wait to hear it come out. It was interesting getting that insight from Canada, and I was thinking about it. Um, I'm going to try to get someone from Canada, maybe someone from England, Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand and beyond, uh, so we can start getting insight from around the globe. Don't get me wrong, I love talking to everybody from the United States, but you know, the, the people that are being the cops overseas are not dealing with the same political tension that we are in America. Or are they? I don't know. It's going to be uh, something that I'm going to have to do. Uh, I've already started planning episodes into May, so maybe this summer we'll go international. I don't know. Um, and I just want to say, uh, anything admin can do, and we're talking stripes, stars, bars, I don't care, to help keep their guys mentally in the fight, it's so important. And, you know, I talked about it during that episode, but, you know, admin just... You need to lead, but you also need to keep your guys up. If you see they're struggling, you need to help pick them up. You know, sometimes big agencies may not be able to do that, but sergeants can. You know what I mean? Even a senior guy on a squad, even if you're not officially a corporal or, you know, senior deputy or whatever, you still can. You can see when people aren't right. And, and my, my code four check today is going to kind of continue with that as well as the last thing that Dr. Simon said in our conversation. Obviously, he was talking about loving your child. And uh, I'm going to take it a step forward and kind of mix it into what I was just talking about. Um, and actually, KP mentioned it on the Valentine's Day episode last week. And I've been saying it for months. Guys, we need to take care of each other. I ran a poll on Instagram last week about do you think that there's blue falcon or infighting increasing at your agencies. And the majority said yes. And that's that's disgusting. Guys, I, I may get on here and I'll tease people 
I may call people out with the memes I make, whatever. But at the end of the day, I don't care if you are day shift, night shift, a goon, report writer, report taker, admin, rookie, FTO, trooper, fighter, paramedic. I don't care. If you are going to run in and do the scary shit with me, if you got my back, I got yours. I don't care what you post on the internet, if you dance on TikTok, if you sell anything, if you have a discount code, I don't care. As long as we are in this together... That's that's all I care about, okay? I may have differencing of opinions on, like, how I go about off-duty life or, you know, how I keep my police persona on duty, off-duty, in the public light, whatever. And, you know, there's been public uh, displays of that. But uh, part of the conversation I cut out with me and KP just because it didn't fit with the narrative, but I'm going to have KP back on. Uh, probably in May or June, we're going to talk about it. Uh, You know, yeah, I may disagree with some things, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I don't care who you are, what you're doing. If you are going into the fight with me, that's all that matters. Words mean very little and actions mean everything. Take care of each other. That's it. Okay. In this world right now, we, law enforcement, are being painted as the enemy. Okay, I know I didn't sign up for this job to be loved. I accept this. Okay, I signed up to do stuff that others will not. But if we are going into work stressed because we are wrapped around a toxic atmosphere, whether it's from admin, our coworkers, and then we come home stressed, none of it is good. We need, and at the very least, to be happy with who and where we work. People can piss you off at work. That's natural. It's it's a family. You know, you're going to bump heads, okay? Any job is going to have that. But if you dread going in, you need to take inventory of these emotions. And when you come home, you need to turn it off. You need to become you again. Stephanie and I talk about it all the time. I talked last week about how I overcame my negative coping mechanisms. Um, I said I did. I kind of said, you know, I start watching TV, reading music, whatever. But another one is this podcast and my meme page. They were very big in me starting to have healthy outlets to the feelings that I have. And yes, I am now inundated with police stuff around the clock, which it can be a little overwhelming, but I I do take regular breaks away from the Instagram. And that's, that's why. And you guys reaching out to me and we talk music, we'll talk sports. I really don't like talking politics, but we can, even if we're just bitching about whatever. I've talked to people from Maine, Montana, New New Hampshire, uh, Canada, Australia, Florida. I found people that work in the next city over. They didn't even know who I was until this podcast and we have connected. I have people in my agency that we don't really talk all that much or, you know, I may like them or they may like me, but we don't really, you know, we're not going drinking off duty, but they found the podcast and there has been something substantial for them to take away from it. And oddly enough, by them reaching out and saying, Hey, I relate to what you're saying is enough to help me continue the fight. Okay. The positive feedback helps me so much. Okay. I I currently live alone. So in my downtime, I would subject myself to negative things if, if I didn't have this outlet. So all I'm saying is you need to be able to find peace. Okay. You need to work on it. You need to find balance. That's what I'm talking about. And that's, that's the code for check for today. Make sure you have balance, take care of each other. Stop being a dick. We all make jokes and that's fine, but you need to be appreciative of these people as well. All right, that's all I have to say 
today, guys. It's going to conclude episode number 20 of the podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. If you guys want to reach out to me and leave a voicemail, you are always able to. The number is 352-610-1692. It goes right to a voicemail that does not connect to my phone, so you will not uh, interrupt me in anything I'm doing. Leave a voicemail. If you need to like talk, if you just want to get uh, some thoughts out, and you don't want to hit me up on Instagram, you want to be completely anonymous or whatever, uh, as anonymous as I can make it, you can actually text that number too. Again, it's not connected to my phone. I may not get a notification that I have a message, but reach out. I am not a mental health professional by any stretch of the imagination, but if you just need someone to bullshit with, hit me up. The number again, 352-610-1692. I actually am currently on vacation, so voicemails and messages, whatever, they're not going to be added to the episodes um, right away, and the the text messages, I won't be responding until I get back in March, but um, go ahead and send them in. Uh, As far as voicemails for the show, it can be a shout-out, a review, a question. I really don't care. I just enjoy interacting with you guys and getting you guys to kind of give me your two cents as well. So do that. I look forward to it. Every time I get a voicemail, it, it, I, I really enjoy it, and I love adding it so you guys can see that there's more of you out there. I don't know if you guys have realized, but I'm building a community here. It all happened by accident, but I am. And I, part of a community is interaction. It's the comments. It's, it's the shared story posts and things like that. Just so we know we are all together, okay? That is what I'm doing, okay? It's not – it's kind of a little hunky-dory. It's kind of a little whatever, Um but it is what it is. Also, uh, I said I was on vacation. Uh, I'm currently in a class in Orlando. If you are in Orlando, Florida, you can you can reach out to me. If you are in Nashville, Tennessee, I will be there next week with Miss Ten Eight, and we are going to. We're only there for a few days, but if you happen to be working in the downtown Broadway area, uh, reach out and let's. Uh, I don't know. Let's have a mini Ten Eight meetup. I really have no idea, but uh, text the number before. And I should be able to see that before uh, Instagram because I'm going to try to be off Instagram the whole time I'm on vacation. So the music this week was Brain in a Jar by Seaway. I love Seaway. They're one of my favorite bands that's making music right now. Um, This is from their newest album called Big Vibe. That's the album. Uh, But go check them out. They're really good. If you like that kind of pop punky sound, you're going to dig it. Then we had No Name by NF. We finished the conversation with Dr. Simon with Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode, which, by the way, I'm going to say something real quick because I know, you know, Logan Campbell kind of gets on me about the Code 4 checks, or not Code 4 checks, the uh, Sigma 3 questions. Um, That is one of my favorite questions, is asking people, you know, if they could walk into a big event, what song would they have playing? You can, I relate a lot to music, so when I get that answer, I like seeing because when you have someone like Dennis Benino, you have Kenny Williams, you have Dr. Simon, people that I don't know personally, Officer Smith, Deputy Hookham, you know, I don't know these people personally, um, and we'll talk the we'll talk shop all night. But when you start talking about like what food they like, what do they think of their significant other, what music do they like, things like that, you know, it's it adds so much more flavor to them as a person. That being said, that is one of my favorite questions, and that's why I always try to include whatever they say their song is, even if it's something silly like Cotton Eye Joe, <laughs> it's coming in. And uh, we're going to end the show today with 17 Crimes by A Fire Inside, also known as AFI. And, you know, hopefully you guys enjoy the music. If you enjoy the music I put on the show each week, or if I put in my stories, check out the 10-8 Music playlist, which is on Spotify. Just got to type in 10-8 Music. You can follow it. You can subscribe to it. And I try to keep it... Um, 
update it with at least the music from the show. But if I'm listening to music on my own, I'm like, oh, this is a good song. I will add to that. It's good music for the gym. It's good music for work and patrol. And it's good music uh, as like background music if you're failing to satisfy your significant other. So music for every occasion. So if you're enjoying the show, guys, please rate review subscribe rate it where you can leave a review and subscribe and most importantly share it with your buddies let's get this show to continue to grow and grow and grow i've got big plans big guests in mind and you guys by sharing it and getting the word out are helping me achieve all of these goals also i want to say check out the merch store i don't i don't push it nearly as much as i probably should um, but it's there it's 10 8 memes dot equid ecwid dot com 10 8 memes is all spelled out I have a brand new Jersey Boy podcast sticker, which was designed by Instagrammer and dispatcher Radio Waitress. So you're going to want to check it out. It's so cool. Um, And then I will have brand new canine shirts coming out very soon, designed by Instagrammer Zeth the Reaper. And they're sick. It's got like a skeleton uh, uh, German Shepherd charging after the bad guy. It's really cool. I can't wait to put it up and for you guys to grab it. Also, I am working on the next Jersey Boy podcast episode. It's going to be sometime in March. I was trying to do it um, a little sooner than that, but, you know, scheduling, whatever. So that's also something to look forward to. By the time the episode airs next week, I will be dirty 31 years old. That's right. Uh, I'm celebrating the start of my 31st trip around the sun. Like I said, I'll be in Nashville uh, to kind of unwind from work and enjoy time with the significant other. So what I'm going to be doing with you guys... The episode is still going to be coming out. Everything is all planned and ready to go. It's going to be a very special birthday celebration of sorts. Trust me, you do not want to miss the episode. So uh, keep your eyes peeled to it. That's all I can say. Until next time, friends, take care of each other and stay safe. 10-8, out.